special episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here. Joining me, Scott Korzanowski, former teammate of mine at 1500 ESPN and the biggest Joe Cap fan I have ever met in my life. And with Joe Cap passing away at the age of 85, uh, wanted to bring you on, Scott, to talk about Joe Cap's incredible football life. Uh, even just reading his Wikipedia is really a journey for that man. But uh, a sad day in Viking land, not too long after losing Bud Grant, now losing Joe Cap as well. It is sad. Uh, you know, I'm one of these people, though, that when I'm a, if I lose close friends, I get sad. When I, when I lose somebody who's uh, I admired, it's just a nice opportunity. He lived a nice long life, 85. We know he was suffering with dementia late in his life. And now he's, you know, he talked about that he suspected it was had to do with CTE and he's, he's going to, he's donated his brain to, to science. So that'll, that'll be uh, done. And he certainly wouldn't surprise me the way he played. I mean, he was putting his, he was as much a fullback as he was a quarterback. And, but when, when I really felt like I lost Joe Cap was in 1970, because, because my, the first Vikings game I ever watched was the 1968 playoff game. The first playoff game the Vikings ever played against the Baltimore Colts. And I was, that was 1968. So I was only eight years old. I'd already become kind of a sports fan. I'd saved up my money because we had one TV and I saved up my 50 cents a week allowance or whatever it was back then. And I think my folks actually, because I bought it, my own TV for $50. I think I probably saved up like 10 and my folks threw in 40, but whatever. I don't remember. I thought I bought it myself. There's little white, black and white TV so I could watch sports because my sisters didn't like to watch sports on our one TV. And so here we go. It's a, the Vikings are in a playoff game and I'm going to take my little TV out and I'm going to watch this game. And the next game I watched on it, by the way, was the Super Bowl uh, where the Colts played the Jets the, the two weeks later. And I'm watching this playoff game and the Colts handled them pretty handily. And I was talking to my dad, what's this playoff thing all about? I mean, I really didn't know. All I knew is I was, and I didn't even remember Joe Cap from that. But by the time the next year, when you go from eight to nine, that's a big difference. You know, in those days, by nine, you're, you're much more in tune with stuff. And I became that, that 1969 season. I talked to you about it. That was like my favorite season as a sports fan ever. And my favorite team ever. And Joe Cap was at the start of that. And so, and we'll talk about that season and what it meant, but when that season ended, Joe Cap got in a contract dispute and left. And he didn't even get signed until like halfway through the season. And that was devastating for me. I mean, Joe Cap, and then he went and then he went to play for the Patriots and he wasn't any good at the Patriots. And by the way, for all you folks that are always pushing me on Twitter and saying, if the Vikings had kept Case Keenum, he would be crappy because he was crappy at some other team. Not necessarily. That's all I would say. Sometimes you get into the perfect situation, which Joe Cap was. So I just loved him. I love Joe Cap, everything about him. And uh, I know my dad really liked him. Uh, my law partner now, Michael Dady, reveres him. So, you know, people of a certain age, uh, he's at the top of my list because, well, Fran's the, the number one quarterback for the Vikings. But after that, you're going to have tr- hard, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that Joe Cap isn't the second best quarterback in the Vikings. It's just such an amazing story because he played in the CFL and Bud Grant had played against him because Bud was the, was a player and then a coach in Winnipeg. And Bud was only in his 20s when he took over as the coach. So it's kind of a funny dynamic there. And so he played against Joe Cap so many times and Joe Cap beat him a bunch of times. 
So when they needed a quarterback, he decided to, I mean, this wasn't like we just draft a quarterback at the top or something. I, I mean, it's a little bit of a different universe. So he finds Joe Cap, brings him in. And there's a couple years of just like, okay, quarterback play, nothing special. What was it about that 1969 season? Because he didn't even, if I remember, I didn't even start the first game and they were losing by a ton. He comes in, he gets them kind of rallied and then never gave the, the job back. And that team was unbelievable pretty much from the time he took over all the way to the end of the season, of course, losing in the Super Bowl as the Vikings want to do. But uh, I, what was it about that season where he took off because he hadn't been that quarterback before? It's, it is, it is, by the way, and going back and just looking and seeing that some of my memories are right on Wikipedia to see if I remembered some of these things and to get names right before I came on. The Vikings traded, this is mind-blowing to me, in the 1969 draft. So they already had cap. I never knew this, you know, because I was too young to know this stuff. Uh, but the Vikings, yeah, cap came, I think, in 67 when Bud claimed. I think he paid 67, 68, and 69 for the Vikings, and then he had his contract dispute. Ended up suing the league, and he trusts, so I respect him for that. He was ahead of his time on that stuff. But the Vikings traded two first-round picks for Gary Quazzo. Gary, all I knew as a nine-year-old was Gary Quazzo sucked. He was brutal. He was horrible. I didn't know they had traded two first-round picks to New Orleans for Gary Quazzo. So, yeah, Gary Quazzo starts the first game, and they got lit up by Fran Tarkenton, you know, who Norm Van Brocken had traded before he got fired. And they knew the Vikings brought back later. And then the amazing thing is the second game of the, the 69 season, the Vikings are playing the Baltimore Colts, whom they had lost to in the prior year. And Joe Cap threw for seven touchdown passes, and fit, they beat him 52-14 or something like that. So I was hooked. And his stats were, this would be a typical Joe Cap game. He'd be seven for 13 for 240 yards. I mean, he, he wouldn't throw that much, but they had Gene Washington. That When there were two Gene Washingtons in the league, there was the Gene Washington on the 49ers, and there was the Gene Washington on the Vikings. And the Gene Washington on the 49ers always got a little more publicity and was maybe a little better, but the Gene Washington on the Vikings was awful good too. And so they were not, they were a running team back in those days. And when they passed, they threw it down the field and, and Joe Cap. But the thing that was amazing to me is how physical he was. I mean, and we'll talk about some of the games, but the, the playoff game against the Rams, when they were losing 17, seven, they came back and scored a touchdown to make it 17, 14. And then the touchdown that put him ahead is Joe Cap ran into Bill Brown. They, they collided he turns around, runs. There's a guy there, and he, he hurdles him into the end zone. I mean, hurdles a linebacker. And then later, when they played Cleveland in the in the NFL championship game, by the way, the Vikings did win the NFL title in 1969. He was running in midfield, and he and he jumped over Ken Houston and caught his knee and knocked out Ken Houston, a linebacker. Joe Cap gets up on the and here's a quarterback knocking out a linebacker. So he was a he was really a football player in all respects, physical. And it, and sadly, it doesn't surprise me that it led to him probably having CTE or, you know, some early dementia onset, but it was just the right time and the right place. And it's really, and you and I talked about it back in, you know, when, when who are my five favorite Vikings during the pandemic, when you were looking for other ways to fill your air airspace, that, that, that the case Keenum just reminded me so much of Joe cat. He was different. He was smaller. Uh, but but he just seemed to get it done. He he would run. He could run when he needed to. He could throw when he needed. His, he rarely threw a spiral, but he got it there on time. I mean, the, the pass to Stephon Diggs, Jack Joe Joe Cap would have made that throw. That's and it would have it would have looked just as ugly, and it would have been just as effective. And so, 
sometimes you just get the right person in the right place. And, and that team, you know, Bud Grant had them, the defense gelled. And, and uh, I mean, it was a great team. They gave up 133 points in, t- in 14 games. And the defense, I think, scored two touchdowns themselves. So they were negative. They were, they were negative 109. They scored 14, and they gave up 133. That's pretty impressive. It was, uh, yeah, it was an insane defense. I remember looking this up that the opposing quarterback rating against the Vikings that year was like 47. <laughs> so it'd be like if you or I played quarterback against uh, an NFL defense. It, I mean, it was just insane. And, you know, you mentioned the, the way that he played. And one of the great things in our universe is NFL films to be able to go back and watch because obviously I'm not the same age as you. Uh, and yet I feel like I've seen a ton of Joe Cap highlights. Every single one is either this crazy wobbling pass. There's a one highlight where he throws it like a chest pass in basketball, makes a play like the creativity running over people, like doing everything that it possibly could take. I mean, normally you wouldn't have even seen back then. I guess Roman Gabriel was huge, but like quarterbacks being that big and just trucking over people was something that was so unusual about the way he played. It seemed like it was just kind of perfect for what they needed. And he, they scored over 50 points three times in the regular season. They scored over 50 points when they beat the, the Colts. And then the first game I ever attended, they played a miserable Pittsburgh Steelers team. It was Chuck Knoll's first uh, first season, I think. They had just drafted Mean Joe Green. The next year they drafted Terry Bradshaw, and they were off and running. But they were horrible, and the Vikings beat them like 52-7 to and could have named the score. I, remember I was at that game, and – and I was kind of like, geez, dad, you bring me to a game where they're playing a team that crappy. That's kind of what I was thinking. And then the next game, and then and then later in the year, they beat Cleveland, who they played in the in the NFL championship by 50. Colts, who they lost to in the playoffs, they scored 50. The Steelers, who stunk, they beat by 50. Steelers were in the NFL then. This was pre-merger. And then the Browns were in the NFL then, scored them 50. So they were an explosive team. But even, even though they ran the ball a lot and capped through a lot of interceptions, the thing in those days, if you had 25 touchdown passes and 24 interceptions, that was considered good. It was considered if you had one more touchdown pass than interceptions or 50-50 because it was a different one. The defenses were were killing the receivers, and two, they passed. They didn't they didn't pass to they, they passed for big plays. The, the league then was run, 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 and then pass for big plays. And it really wasn't until Jerry Burns came along that that when when the Vikings got Chuck Foreman, when that kind of changed. But but Cap fit that era perfectly, and he was. I mean, you can see him in guys today. Uh, you know, you can, there's some Pat Mahomes in him. Okay, the Pat Mahomes will run and throw off different platforms. There's some. Uh, I think if you're going to ask me who do, reminds me the most of him, would be. Uh, 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 now I'm having a senior moment. The uh, the quarterback for the uh, for the Bills, uh, Josh Allen. Yeah, Josh Allen, because he's big and he runs guys over. Remember when? when they beat the Vikings when they were 18 point underdog during Josh Allen's and he's, he's, he's hurtling uh bar and he's running over linebackers. And, you know, Josh Allen hadn't learned pass yet. And he beat the Vikings. Just that, that was a Joe cap game. I mean, the, the big, strong quarterback, not afraid to run everybody over. That was Joe cap. Now, obviously Josh Allen has a much better arm than Joe cap had, but, but from a, from my, I'm going to do what it takes to win attitude. I like that in Josh Allen. And in fact, Josh Allen to this day, if you're going to have to take a strike on him, he still kind of throws the ball like having 25 touchdowns and 25 interceptions is okay, right? He's not checking down very often. He's He can't help himself. He reminds me a lot of Joe Cap in a good way. 
Yeah, no, I mean, uh, we saw it a little bit this year where he could be a little bit reckless, but um, that was uh, one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life, by the way, him hurtling Anthony Barr, because yes. I don't think TV ever does justice. And you know this being a huge basketball fan, it never does justice to the size of the athletes. And I have stood next to Josh Allen and oh my gosh, like it's just absolutely <laughs> enormous. But, you know, with Cap, his playing style was so fun and entertaining and kind of, you know, the <laughs> grinding out these wins, but also his personality and leadership, it seemed like it just kind of captivated everyone. And there's the the famous story of him turning down the MVP and things like that. I, there's, there's some, there's always going to be something to that. Like the, there's a little bit of mythology, I'm sure with it, no matter what, when you lead a winning team, we can always say it's easier to lead a winning team. But I think with him, there was something to his attitude. He had this kind of edge to him. He told a story that was on NFL films where they, he came into a game that they were losing and he looked right at the best defensive player and yelled F you <laughs> like, just <laughs> like, I, like that, that was just kind of his edge which I, I think that there's always going to be something to that at that leadership position. I remember, you know, and he was uh, Mexican, I believe, was his heritage. I believe was Mexican. And I remember seeing the, uh, you know, not a lot of Latinos or, or Mexican in the NFL. And and there was a Sports Illustrated cover and it said, man of machismo. That's what they called him. I mean, he was your, he was the epitome of the macho man. I mean, he was... And you, you know, you're talking at the at the awards banquet. Roman Gabriel won the MVP that year. And as a kid, I loved my two favorite teams were the Vikings and the Rams. It kind of went back to one. They were both good. That year, by the way, the Vikings also beat the Rams in the regular season. The Rams were 11 and 0, and the Vikings were 10 and 1. And people would say, why did they face each other in the in the divisional game instead of the conference championship game? Because back in those days, it was predetermined. It was predetermined. There were three divisions. And they would say, this division will play this division, and this division will play the wild card. And it had nothing to do with your record. So the, I guess so the Vikings, who won the Central, and the Rams, who won the West, that was predetermined. And then the team that won the East probably played the wild card. It was, And that's how probably the, uh, the, the Browns were. Because the Vikings and Rams were the best team. And the Vikings beat them in Los Angeles by a similar score to here. But that game, uh, the divisional championship game, is amongst my most memorable days of my life. I mean, it – you know, here I am nine, you know, it's the two, I just started watching the Vikings. I'd been to one game and was hooked. And in my stocking on Christmas day, there was two tickets to the Rams game. And the, the game was, I don't know, a couple of days later. And we go and we sat at Met stadium and what would have been fantastic baseball seats. We would have been right behind home plate in about the fourth row. Absolutely awful football seats. Didn't matter to me. This young couple from Los Angeles comes and sits down next to us and it's, I went and looked up the, the, when I was asked to describe that day, I said, it was just a normal December day, cold, but you know, we were, it wasn't ridiculous. And I looked at the temperature, it was 11 degrees. It's about average, right? It wasn't like 10 below. Uh, they rarely had 10 below games because the regular season was always, and the playoffs were usually over by right around January 1st. You didn't get into these January days uh, in play in, in non uh, Super Bowl games. Uh, and so the, I don't, I never ever remember going to a game when it was below zero and this young couple the guy is wearing like a raincoat and, and on, he's got like driving gloves on and he's wearing uh, totes over his, over his dress shoes. And my dad looks at him and says, you all are going to need our help. They're from Los Angeles. He gives them our blankets. And my dad always had some sort of concoction with whiskey and coffee in it that he was giving them. And it was really fun sitting next to them. But the Vikings losing 17-7 at halftime in that game, you know, I was melting down as a kid and they came out and, and, and won it. And the way it ended was classic with, 
uh, with Roman Gabriel driving him down the field and Alan Page getting an interception and tipping it up and running across the field and Joe Cap hurling in for one of the touchdowns. I mean, that was an epic day. That was uh, – and then the next game they're playing the Browns at home, blacked out. The blackout. You, they did not even playoff games. Home games, I don't know when they got rid of that blackout, but whoever thought that was a good idea. So I had to listen to it on the radio. But the Super Bowl, of course, was was the low point. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. It's uh, – it's the it's the it's one of the worst sports events of my life. I mean, I was nine years old. They're losing 16-0 at halftime, and Joe Cap is. I mean, Hank Stram completely outcoached Bud Grant in that game. It's just there's really no don't no doubt about it. He he got outcoached and took took him apart. And at the end of that game, well, the worst part they're down 16 nothing. The Vikings score. They're going to get a stop. Len Dawson throws it to Otis Taylor. Ursula McBee, it's an out, it's a seven-yard pattern. Ursula McBee falls off, goes down the field, and that's that's when at the the lawyers, we were at our neighbor's house, and that's when the tears started flowing. I couldn't, I could not fight the tears at that point. Couldn't do it. It is funny how uh the like Joe Cap's short time in the NFL, very short time. Uh, overlaps with some of these incredible moments of the AFL and NFL merging and kind of what leads to that with you know, the, the losing to the Baltimore Colts. I mean, imagine had it been the Vikings that were playing the Jets, maybe it goes differently. Like maybe yes. the Vikings beat the Jets in that game. Uh, you know, who knows? And then it's totally different. But also the Jets win was a huge moment for the AFL, but it was almost just as big that Kansas City had won that game in the way that they did. It wasn't like a close game. It wasn't kind of fluky or anything else like that. It wasn't just the Joe Namath and, and everything. It was like the Kansas City Chiefs are a monster football team and they just ran this great Vikings team out of the building. So even though you were crying tears, it played a big role in what yes. would eventually happen in NFL history. And by the way, it's possible that this year uh, the Eagles and Chiefs could replay the Super Bowl on the first game of the season. Well, that happened in 1970. First game of the season, the Chiefs came into the Metropolitan Stadium, and I think the Vikings won 27 to 10. So it was, but you are right. I mean, it was a dominating performance. And then, and, and the worst part of it was Joe Cap had to leave. You know, the game was over from a from a from a competitive standpoint, but it wasn't over, and he's still out there. And he got hit, I think, by Buck Buchanan, and he broke his ribs. And he and he hit, in his last Viking game, he not only walks off in defeat, but he walks off being hurt. Kind of similar, I guess, to uh, you know Brett Favre's career ended here. That he went off. I don't know if they lost that game he walked off in, but they weren't having a good season. And he went off the field hurt when he had never been hurt before. Uh, kind of a you know when you really look at the Vikings, some of these quarterbacks that they've had for a very short time. You know, Brett Favre for two years, one year spectacular. Randall Cunningham for two years, one year spectacular. Case Keenum, one year, spectacular. Uh, Joe Cap, you know, three, four years, you know, one of the most spectacular years ever. Uh, the Vikings have caught some lucky breaks on getting some of these quarterbacks uh, that, that that really did well for a short period of time. And Joe Cap was at the top of that list. And it's so funny because now when I used to do the radio show, and you know, I, I enjoy the business of sports. You know, I have certain viewpoints. One is – the players should get paid. The players should be free to move. You know, all the people complaining about the transfer portal, I'm going, really? Okay. Uh, it's about time that the athletes that are, that you're making gazillions of dollars off can at least go to another school if they don't like where they are. Oh, it's not good for the game. Well, I don't care. Then pay them some money, sign them to a contract, you know, player. And then Joe Cap kind of got that, you know, he didn't like what the Vikings offered him. 
And all the stories that were told about Bud Grant, that obviously Bud Grant, one of the reasons he went to Canada is they offered him like $2,000 more a year than the Eagles did. I mean, Bud and so I'm I'm thinking Bud and Joe Cap kind of saw things similarly, would be my guess. Yeah, I mean that that is uh something that I mean we just don't see a whole lot in the NFL today. If somebody wants a contract and they're a good player, they're pretty much gonna get it. Yep. Although what I mean, even what happened with Case Keenum was extremely unique. How many times has a team ever gone to the NFC championship and then changed quarterbacks the next year? It does not happen very often. I could think of like the Baltimore Ravens when they went to Elvis Gerback after winning with Trent Dilfer, but there's only a handful of examples of doing that. But back in the day, these contract disputes, I mean, it even kind of lasted through like the 80s and 90s. Wasn't it Bobby Bear who skipped an entire season with a contract dispute? There wasn't the CBA. There wasn't free agency. There wasn't all these things kind of in place. And you wonder if there had been, if Joe Cap would have continued to be the Vikings quarterback and what that could have meant to the next couple of years. Uh, but then, you know, Fran returns and all that. So it, it kind of plays a role there in history. 1970 and 1971, the Vikings were, you know, they, they, their offense was so, they, two years of, you know, that, that 1969, that was the peak of the Purple Leaders. But I'll tell you, 70, 71, and then 72 when the, when the Vikings went to the Super Bowl, or 73 when they went, because Fran's first year, the Vikings went seven and seven, uh, which was shocking to everybody because they went like 10 and four in, in 70 and 71. I think they made the playoffs, but, but they were winning games, you know, six to nothing. You know, you know, ten to ten to three. I mean, Gary Quazzo, who they like I said was was horrible. Uh, he was, and then they had Norm Sneed came along, who was a former Eagles passer, and he wasn't any better. And then they had Bobby Lee, who was their punter but could play quarterback a little bit. I mean, those were two dark years uh, without without uh, Joe Cap. And and like I said, I didn't really get it as a as a nine or ten year old. I mean, I knew he didn't get, didn't get enough mo- enough money, but I would know I was never mad at Joe Cap. I'm like, why wouldn't they pay him the money? And if we look back now, I'm sure the amount of money difference would be absurd by today's standards, but it meant a lot then. And yeah, you just didn't. I don't know. I don't know. I guess he was a free agent because I don't know they used to have like a they could keep your player, but his contract ran out. If I don't know all the details, but he ended up signing with uh, the, the New England Patriots and then didn't. And I think he played one year and was done. Yeah, so, I think yeah, he it, went like one in 10 or something. It went really badly. But then, so this is like an interesting part of Joe Cap, though, is that after his career in the NFL, he ends up being the head coach at Cal when the band is on the yep. field, which is crazy. I mean, it's almost, this is like a Forrest Gump-ish type of career that he had after because he ended up being a CFL general manager. He was an actor and showed up in a handful of TV shows. I mean, it's just funny. Like he he wrote a book that I, I'm going to have to get and read at some point because he had such a unique uh, journey even after the NFL and kind of always lived off of that 1969 season with the Vikings. And if you look at, I mean, and he, I, I looked at this, I Wikipedia when he died, I knew he was in the, the original longest yard. He was one of the, with, with Burt Reynolds. And, and for those, most of you, I think, know the longest yard, and they remade it years later with Adam Sandler. But uh, but the the original longest yard is a classic. Okay, I mean, it's a prisoner. It was a football player, and I don't know whether he he was gambling or he gets thrown into in the penitent. He's like a superstar quarterback, and he gets thrown into prison, and he organizes a game against the guards or something. And Joe Cap is 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 one of the badass guards. And Joe Cap, I learned, was one of the producers of that movie. So, so he got into the Hollywood business. And I mean, he was like Alex Karras got into movies back then. He was kind of like an Alex Karras character. And he was such a character 
to play a guard, he just kind of had to be himself, right? Because he, he, he could be a hard ass, right? I mean, he was he was a natural hard ass, and he looked mean, and he's a bigger guy, and he played a natural hard ass, and he was probably of the you know one of the the major uh, one of the the guards. You know, the the movie was more about the inmates, but 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 he was one of the guards that had the bigger that had the bigger role. Yeah, that's it's such a such a cool kind of like side note. And his Wikipedia again is just a complete gem. Uh, I wonder where you think he ranks. Is he the coolest Viking quarterback of all time? Like, obviously, he's not the best passer and not the most accomplished because that's Fran Tarkenton by far. But I think he's got a really good argument. Dante, too, for coolest. I mean, of of my time watching football, I think easily Dante is the coolest. I know that you're a huge Case Keenum fan, but I feel like that is his legacy. That's not a bad legacy to have for a team's franchise is being known as like the coolest, most badass quarterback your team has ever had. Well, when, when you asked me to give my top five guys, you know, I put case Keenum at five, even though he only, you know, cause he reminded me of cap and number one was Joe cap. I mean, Joe cap is my favorite Viking of all time uh, uh, because of that season and because everything he stood for and, uh, and he brought them, you know, to the Super Bowl. you know, so they've only had two, two quarterbacks that brought him to the Super Bowl. So Fran, Fran is is the best quarterback the Vikings have had. He's he's the best quarterback. He's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. He he was a uh, he was a, a a glimpse into the future. Okay, when when he played, I'm sure you you know this because you know your history. But Norm Van Brocklin hated him because he was so mobile. He said, "Stay in the pocket." Now, what are we all saying? You got to have a quarterback who's mobile. You, you know, that, that's that's one of you know Kirk Cousins. He just doesn't have it. He's gotten more mobile, but he's not he's not a real mobile quarterback. And you want to have so. I mean, really, Patrick Mahomes. If you watch Patrick Mahomes play, uh, the, I think the most obvious comparison to Patrick Mahomes is Fran Tarkenton because he would run all over the place and and much like Patrick Mahomes wouldn't run downfield very often. Patrick Mahomes mostly runs around looking to pass it. That was absolutely Fran Tarkin. And Joe Cap would run it. Joe Cap, if he didn't like it, he would he would just take off and run you over. Uh, Mahomes will do that. But but so Fran Tarkenton was a he was ahead of his time, right? And not appreciated by by his very own coach. So uh but I do think I think I mean I think Joe Cap is is I think Fran Tarkin is the best quarterback the Vikings have had. My quarterback rankings for the Vikings, you know. You know, Favre had that incredible year. Randall Cunningham, I think, won MVP the year he played here. Uh, so those guys are right up there, similar careers. But for, for me, it's Joe Cap is number two. Just is. Yeah, I mean, that that is such a fascinating part of Vikings history of how short the runs are. And, you know, Culpepper, that 04 season is one of the great seasons in history. You mentioned Randall yes. Cunningham. At the time, there was an argument that that was the best offense ever. I mean, relative, you know, the league changes and everything else, but by the actual numbers, that was the best offense that had ever been played in the history of our spinning earth uh, at the time that Randall Cunningham did. And by the next year, Jeff George is playing quarterback for the Vikings And and the same thing happening with Joe Cap. So it was really only Fran Tarkenton who had that run. I think that's a great comparison, by the way, to Mahomes, because even when you look at Tarkenton and Mahomes, both of them had the arm to throw downfield, but they often threw underneath and had a lot of quick passes to go along with the playmaking mobility. That's how Chuck Foreman became such a weapon as a receiver out of the backfield, which really hadn't been done a lot before. And when you see Mahomes, there's a lot of quick passes that that he comes up with or short intermediate stuff from running around. 
And, and Tarkenton, again, was a guy who led every passing category at the time he retired, which is kind of the way I like to look at like yes. where people rank. Where did you rank when you were done playing? Because you can't keep playing against the other no. guys that come after you. Um, so anyway, I, I, I love the Vikings quarterback history for that reason, that there's these pop-up seasons from certain guys where it is special, even if it's just a flash but it's, it's there. And those players endear themselves. I would say that there's a little like Teddy Bridgewater to Joe cap as well, where it wasn't the most beautiful passing, but it was really his personality and his leadership that kind of captivated it. Didn't get them to the super bowl. Maybe would have needed Blair Walsh to kick it through the goalposts <laughs> in order to do that. But like Mike Zimmer would have liked Joe cap. He didn't like Kirk cousins, but he would have liked the Joe cap type personality. And it really was a case where, that, that Zimmer turned his back on Keenum, you know, and, you know, and all the things he said about him, you know, he always wearing his rosary beads or whatever he's saying. And yeah. He had some good fortune. Everybody has good fortune. And, you know, there's plenty of numbers. You can look up the numbers. Well, how many passes should have been intercepted versus actually were. So, you know, the numbers are there if you want to look at it, but he, he's, and then you go and get a, a, a quarterback who, and look to, to, for cousins credit, his mobility within the pocket and his pocket presence, he has improved that. Since since 2018, in 2018 he was like a statue, and the Vikings did not have a very good offensive line, and so Keenum was a better fit for their offensive line, especially given that they could have had Keenum for what 18 million. He signed a two-year, 36 million dollar deal. I think only 18 million or 19 million was guaranteed. If they signed him for 18 million instead of uh, Cousins for 28, that's an extra 10 million bucks under the cap that maybe you could even get a lineman or two. And, and kept Keenum there. But that's we're not here to talk about those guys. <coughs> Other than it is an interesting history because when you look at the long-term quarterbacks, I mean, I'm a big Tommy Kramer fan too. I mean, I love him on Twitter. He's reached out to fans. He's a character. In college, we loved him. We'd sit there and we'd say, was Tommy at the Rusty Scupper last night or wasn't he? And our and our view, because he was always down at the Rusty Scupper in the middle of the night, he'd get pulled over by the cops. They'd make sure he got home. And the next day he'd throw four intercept, or he'd throw four TD passes. Our theory in college was, was that if Tommy was out drinking the night before, he was going to do better on Sunday. But Tommy was, you had the good Tommy and you had the bad Tommy. But the good Tommy was outstanding. I mean, he was a, he was a Favre-like gunslinger, you know, uh, but, he, but he was a little too inconsistent. But you look at the long-term Viking quarterbacks. Obviously, Fran had longevity and an accomplishment. Tommy Kramer had longevity, uh, but, but, you know, was a little too inconsistent to be considered great. And how many other quarterbacks do they have with any longevity? And you mentioned Dante, that 4 season. But for a guy named Peyton Manning who had an unbelievably ridiculous season, uh, he would have been an MVP. They, those numbers would have got, and the Vikings record would have gotten him MVP, except for Peyton Manning had one of perhaps the, one of the greatest seasons at, at that point in quarterback history. And then he gets hurt. You know, the next year he gets hurt. And, and we don't, the longevity of Dante. Otherwise, maybe we'd be talking about Dante as the best quarterback. Oh, I think there's no question that we would have been talking about him as the best Vikings quarterback um, other than maybe Tarkenton. But right. if you consider that there was an ownership change in there and they started to get things kind of back on track and they weren't as cheap anymore. And then they built that team up because Favre not only like was great that year, but they had a really good team. They had a really good defense. They also had a pretty favorable schedule that year. Like there would have been a year where it all came together for Dante. I mean, he went to an NFC championship anyway, so it wasn't like he was incapable of doing that. And maybe you end up with a different history, which is what it says on the outside of the Viking stadium 
maybe if only dot, 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 then something <laughs> else would have happened. But uh, I, I wanted to just maybe ask you a question or two about how you feel about them now. But if you thought no. of any other Joe Cap things that you wanted to bring up, I don't want to leave anything on the table. No, no. I'd love to talk about now. Um, I, I really think that it's really – I think what Kwesi and KOC are doing is pretty interesting because, to me, this is just speculation. But the, the Vikings, you know, of course, spoke to Ryan Poles, the Chicago GM. And then he left, and then all of a sudden he was done. And my and my my guess is they asked Ryan Poles his plan, and this would have been my plan if someone had asked me last year. I would have I would have torn it down. I would have torn it down last year, and I would have traded Cousins, and I would have torn it down, and I would have ripped the bandage off. And by the way, hockey fans, isn't it interesting that the Blackhawks, who had Taves and Kane, now get now now get got to replace them? You know, because because they don't spend their time losing first round playoff games. They 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 win titles and then they tear it down and then they build it back up and then they win titles and that's what you have to do and getting into the playoffs and look last year was a lot of fun we all had fun i mean that buffalo game th- th- that season was incredibly fun but it was a sugar high and give credit to give credit to 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 the players they won those games they deserve to have 13 wins there's no question about that but but they weren't a very good team. You know, they, they, they were out of the 32 NFL teams. They were maybe the, the 14th best team that just happened to take advantage of every opportunity that was given to them. And they closed the deal much to their credit. Uh, so I don't say, I, but, but to sit there and say that they were a legitimate title contender. Well, if you, if you've got a, if you've got a chair at the table, you can, you can win the hand that can happen. But, and I enjoyed that season, but now look at where they are. And now look at what, where the bears are. The Bears had the number one pick. They traded it for other picks. They, they're, they're building the, the cupboard. They, they think they have their quarterback because they had the year before. So I am pleased. But but what I think happened is I think Ryan Pohl said that, and the and the Wills probably said that's not what we want. Uh, or maybe Quessy said it. He said, well, I'll do what you, I'll do the competitive rebuild. I think the Wills, that's what they wanted. So so I think I think my this is me. I don't know Quessy. You, you know, you've talked to him. My sense is, is that if he had his druthers, he would have torn it down. But I could be wrong. But 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 look, the Wolves own the team. Uh, they have the right to say, no, we want you to do it this way. They're the owners of the team. They can do it. And look, it was a great season. It was super fun. Uh, but now, you know, now they couldn't they couldn't get Anthony Richardson. You know, I mean, they couldn't do it. I think they wanted to. Don't you? Oh, yes. I think that they wanted one of those three quarterbacks. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I know you about Anthony Richardson. I mean, to me. I've watched so much. I don't, I'm not a guy that does that, but guys that kind of know tape, the thing that they say about Anthony Richardson is that when he's a very low sack rate, very low sack rate, he, he, and he's mobile in the pocket and he, and he doesn't just, he doesn't pull a Christian ponder. And as soon as some guys in his face, tuck it and run, he's looking down the field, he's making stepping up into the, so people that say that you're starting from scratch with this guy, I, I don't, he's played very few college games, which is a concern, but, but that would have been if I had the number one pick in the draft. That would have been my guy, and I, I maybe would have crashed and burned. But I, I would have. One of the things I know when I have to make a decision, I always think, how would I feel if I if if I didn't do this, and it worked out, and I was and and if I would have felt so bad if I didn't take Anthony Richardson that I, I would take, I would take it, and and it doesn't mean I don't think Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud or any of these guys are going to be good. I just know that, and I think. And I think by the Vikings, you know, basically just kicking the can down the road one year with with Kirk, I think we're going to see them. They're going to make their move, I think. And I think yeah, they, they and need to do it. 
it's really an, a potential inflection point one way or the other. I mean, because if they had torn it down, they would have lost a lot of games. I mean, yes. if they played Nick Mullins as their starting quarterback, they would have lost probably 13 games last season. And then they would have been in position to take one of three potential franchise quarterbacks. I tend to agree with you on Richardson. I was never convinced he was going to fall because I thought the NFL is just going to love what they see when you actually watch him play and you see how bad his team was, you see how hard he played, you see how he handled the adversity of playing Georgia and, and, and going up against a team that was way better than his and finding ways to keep his team in the game. I know the accuracy and short yardage is not great. The accuracy down the field, though, actually is really great. So it's like, can we correct short passes? Probably the easiest thing to, to fix. I don't know if he's going to be great or not, but I liked a lot of his leadership element that we're talking about with Joe Cap, with Case Keenum, with Teddy Bridgewater. I saw a lot of that in him. And if you went four and 13 and you drafted him and you pair that freakish ability with Justin Jefferson, I feel good about that process. And Christian Derrissaw, who's a superstar, yes. by the way. Yep. I feel good about that process. And if that goes wrong, well, I picked the greatest athlete to ever play at the position with a monster arm who, you know, just gave me a chance at least to go somewhere different to another level who gave me a chance to find a Dante Culpepper or something to pair with the best receiver in the league. But that's what happens when you competitive rebuild is sometimes you fall ass backward into a 13 win season right. and then you're stuck drafting in the twenties. I like who they got in Jordan Addison. I like how it sets up for their future for the next quarterback potentially, but it also puts in them in a position to be like, well, maybe we should extend Kirk. Right. And everybody has in the past, they've always been talked into this. Like maybe we should go for another year of Kirk. Oh, he won that playoff game against new Orleans. Like maybe we should go for it. It's like, stop doing this. Stop allowing yourselves to be talked into it. And I think that they drew a line in the sand and we'll see if this stays true through the off season into camp with the extension but it seems like they drew a line in the sand saying we're not doing what the last guys did paying you the most money in the league for three or four years and locking ourselves into our entire tenure being connected with him because everybody else who's done that has gotten fired. So it, I think that at some point they want to pick their quarterback, but I'm okay with the fact that they decided that guy wasn't Will Levis and that, that might be a bad take. Eventually he might be a star and we might go back and go, Oh my gosh, this is Steph Curry and Johnny Flynn again, but I was okay with their process of not picking Will. I am too. In fact, the things that I saw about Will Levis is he, you know, he gets sacked a lot he, he, to me. And I'll tell you another quarterback, Deshaun Watson, by the way, take out all of his uh, off the field problems. I would have never gone out and signed him because he, what did he always lead the league in getting sacked? Now, yeah, a lot of that has to do with the offensive line, but a lot of it doesn't, okay? Mm -hmm. Dan Marino had the mobility of me, and he never got sacked, okay? And he had some good offensive lines. He had, you know, Richmond Webb at left tackle. He had some good – but I'm telling you, it wasn't like he wasn't under pressure. He's a guy that knew – had pocket presence and knew when to get rid of it, knew when to check down, knew when to take a little sidestep here. You know, Tom Brady doesn't get sacked very much either. And so, to me, that's a huge factor for me, is that how, how – the quarterback is partially responsible for getting sacked. It's like, you know, do you win with the jockey or do you win with the horse? Well, you need to have both. You need to have the offensive line. You need a quarterback. And and if one of them's bad, you're going to get you can have more sacks. But if they're both bad, you're going to have disaster. And so I I like quarterbacks that. So I, I'm, I'm I've always said, if you rec, if you identify a player, then it's quarterback. 
then you got to do everything you can to go up and get them. And again, I don't know that the Vikings could have done that. I mean, they would have had to give up probably three number ones down the road. Uh, I mean, although Gary Quazzo got two number ones, I still can't believe that. Uh, but uh, uh, so, so my, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I would, but, but if he's not your guy, don't just don't pull a Christian ponder. Well, he's the next best quarterback. Let's take him. You've got to, the guy you pick, you've got to be convinced is your guy. Andy Reid was, they had just come off what the playoff team, 13 win team, Alex Smith, good quarterback. And, and Andy Reid put all his chips in the table. Now he only had to go up for 10th, but he saw something there that other people didn't see. And he was right. You know, other people, you know, Mitch Trubisky, they saw something there and they were wrong. And it's about a 50, 50, maybe less, right. Hit rate at quarterbacks. And, uh, but if you know what you're looking for, and all the stuff I read about KOC and what a great quarterbacks coach he is, and you know, other so many quarterbacks talk about what a great quarterback coach is. I think, and we know how good of a quarterbacks coach Andy Reid is. I have some hope that KOC can identify skills, given that he was a quarterback who, when he got to the pros, couldn't do it. You know, when you listen to Oh, who's the guy that used to be played for the Ravens used to be on a, uh, was their quarterback when they won, won the Super Bowl way back in the early days. Dilfer, went yeah, Trent Dilfer. Trent Dilfer. He recognized what he didn't have, but we ever hear him break down quarterbacks. He's pretty good because mm-hmm. he, he played and he goes, here's why I wasn't any good. So I'm looking for people that don't have that weakness. You know, I, I, I know what the weaknesses are that cost you in the NFL and it's hard for GMs to know it. And, and my view is just a, an amateur who likes to, you know, hang out on Twitter and read, read, read articles is pocket presence is, is huge for me. Huge. You got to have a certain arm talent. You have to have a certain physical ability, but, but like, like cousins has great arm talent. And, and obviously look, cousins is, is a, is an above average NFL quarterback and has had a, had a long career, um, multiple pro bowls, you know, good quarterback. He's been a good NFL quarterback for many years, but he has some weaknesses and, and his weaknesses are pocket presence, mobility, being able to, to operate off broken plays he, he doesn't have that. Uh, so to me, those are, those are factors that I would look for once you, and, and Richardson obviously has all the physical tools, but when I saw these guys breaking down and saying his pocket presence is really good and, and he gets away from trouble, still looks downfield and almost never gets sacked. That sold it for me. That, that, that if he's got that ability, we know he's got a strong arm. Yeah. Maybe he's not as accurate as he could be, but we've seen Josh Allen, you know, going from, Hey, guys that throw for 50% in college never turn out to be good pros. Well, they did with Josh Allen because he went in and fixed it. That's 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 rare, but it worked for him. Well, and the same thing was with Jalen Hurts, where they talked about yes. him not being able to throw. But when you are a hundredth percentile athlete, uh, you can make changes that regular people cannot. Regular NFL quarterbacks cannot when you are the best of the best, or you can find ways to make up for some of that, or you give your coordinators ways to work around that. Running the football is one of them. But your assessment of the sack issue is dead on. I mean, one, it's been statistically proven that the quarterback has more control over sacks than even the offensive line. Only about 10% of the time Josh Allen is even pressured, does it turn into a sack? And also when you look at expected points, it can actually be worse to be sacked than throw an interception. Like it is such an unbelievably negative play. And I think what Kirk had like 46 last year, because this offense wants him to stay on reads longer, which often results in pressures and sacks. And if you pressure him, a lot of times it does turn into a sack because he's going to go down, you know, try to protect himself, which is great to have him on the field. But, you know, at the same time, there's no 
like escaping. Once the pressure's no. there, it's just there and you're sacked. And that is what I liked about Richardson. And I think for the next quarterback and O'Connell was a great athlete himself, by the way, he ran one of the fastest forties. And I do wonder, does he see that part? Like he obviously respects Kirk's accuracy because O'Connell couldn't throw the ball anywhere close to how well Kirk does. So he's named that as his top thing, but I've got to wonder if he sees some of these plays, the fourth and eight is going to stick in everybody's mind, but does somebody else escape the pocket at that point, make a play run for a first down. And here's a stat to blow your mind. Just absolutely blow your mind. Daniel Jones of all people who's, you know, ran like a four, seven or something, but he has the ability to run. He had more first down runs than Delvin cook last year. How insane is that? Well, right? and, and you look at, look, at, look at Patrick Mahomes. He didn't, he run like a four. Didn't he run? I mean, I've seen this. He ran the same 40 time as Tom Brady at the combine, something like that. Yeah, Patrick not Mahomes, fast. I mean, I think he was a little faster, but he's not, but, but he's not fast. fast but he has that gene, but, but people never tackle him. Yep. They come in and he just, he eludes guys that are way faster than him. These fast defensive ends, you know, uh, the guy from Dallas comes in. I'm not saying that Micah Parsons can't get him, but you'll see him run away from those guys because mm-hmm. he knows when to leave or something. I, I can't define it. I can just see it. it. I mean, Tarkenton was very much that way. I don't have any idea how fast Tarkenton was. I just know that people found it almost impossible to sack him. He was would run around like crazy. So, and you, you can go see the highlights. Some he's like 30 yards behind the line of scrimmage and he's still running. Around. <laughs> Used to drive my father nuts. I'll say that, but uh, I loved Tarkenton. So yeah, it's, it's quarterbacking is, and people think that we're hating on Kirk Cousins. No, we're not. I, I could not have more respect for Kirk Cousins. He shows up for work every day. He's never hurt. He's always prepared. He's get, he gets better. He takes his job seriously. His team seems to like him. They, they view him as a leader. They all stick up for him. He's just physically not worth $40 million a year. And he's going he's gonna to tap your, your salary cap. And, and by the way, he's had a chance. You know, he's been here, what, five years, six years? And they've won some games and they've won a playoff game. But one playoff game in his five years he's been here? Is, is, that, is that what you want? And it's not all his fault, but it's more his fault than people think because he's getting paid too much at quarterback. And that's not that's not his fault because he's earned it, but that's the Vikings' fault for you – know, you want to get in that five-year window, which, by the way, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Trey Lance, but do you want to trade for Trey Lance when he's already in his fourth year? Is he in his fourth year or his third year? It's third year, I think. You know, you want to have those five years, you know, yep. if you can. Not, not, oh, just yeah. two of, not just two of the years before you got to pay him. Well, and you even see the awkward position that the Packers are in Jordan Love because they let that whole thing run out. And it's like, this is really relevant because the NFL is a game on the field and an economics game off the field. That's what makes everybody love it so much is that we can all play along with the GM. In fact, I heard uh, the Chargers GM mention that he was doing draft sims on PFF's website, just like us, simulating the draft, taking players and stuff leading up to it. So uh, we all get to play that armchair GM that makes it interesting. But I think that you, you make a great point about the hidden yards of quarterback. And I don't worry about the Cousins discussion on Twitter because you, you'd be shocked Twitter's not that nuanced. It's weird. I, <laughs> it's something really I just not. discovered. <laughs> but uh, it is it is a really you, you know nuanced discussion, though, about why they haven't won more with Cousins despite the big passing stats. And a lot of that is the hidden yards, the hidden rushing first downs of other quarterbacks, the hidden sack yards that you don't talk about that much. 
you know, and, you know, certain years he's been more of a check down, like take the easy yards as opposed to pushing it down the field. And I think last year was kind of one of those years where he didn't push it down the field as much as he had in other years. And I think what we've reached is just kind of the conclusion, like, this is what it is. We've had every iteration of what if you give him this? What if you give him that? What if you change the coach? What if you whatever? And you still end up not scoring, outscoring your opponents last year. Uh, you know, so you kind of end up in that same spot. And I think that if they have drawn the line in the sand and decided next year we are drafting our future quarterback, then the franchise is going very much in the right direction. You mentioned the Bears, Bears, Lions, they did these full rebuilds. Like they're going to be there competing. <laughs> but as long as you have Jefferson and as long as you have Darius, as long as you have these megastar players, you can put together a defense if you have the cap space to do it. If you find a, a quarterback in the draft who is even good, doesn't even necessarily have to be a megastar, has to be kind of a winner and has to be kind of good. If you find that, you can go in the right direction. So somebody asked me the other day, like, are they getting closer to a Super Bowl at this moment? It's like, not yet, but I think by leaving that door open to draft a quarterback next year, you're probably doing the best thing that they've done in years. I guess I, what I don't get is why, and I know you're 13 and four last year and, and cousins had, a, you know, brought him eight, back eight times. Why? And maybe why, because I think they were on the hook for this year anyway, but, but why didn't you just either eat the 40 million this year and be done with it? So you, you're clean next year or better yet, see if you could have traded him because having him play, they're going to win more games than if they had, some, you know, the, you know, my, my plan for them last year was get rid of them and go sign Marcus Mariota. That was my plan. Marcus Mariota is making $7 million. He's a professional NFL quarterback. And people go, well, he's not as good as Kirk. Of course he's not as good as Kirk, but that's kind of the idea. You know, I kind of like to not be real good so that you're, you're, you know, you're drafting third or fourth instead of 12th or 13th and, and playing. If they got rid of cousins and brought in, you know, and, and signed a Marcus Mariota type quarterback this year, they would lose more games. Yes. And I get that. But now you would have cleared your cap space because even next year, if they get 25 million, I think is what the dead money next year. If they cut them next year, they, they got 25 million dead money on there. So I don't get it. I would have, if you had done it this year or, or going into next year, why don't you just rip the bandage off going into next year? And you, and you take Justin Jefferson down and you say, here's what we're going to pay you. We're going to take care of you. We're going to get a quarterback in here and we're going to do it. And that's what I would have done. I mean, I mean, with, with Kirk Cousins as your starter, you said that the offense they're going to have with Darisaw and now there's other receivers, they're going to, I don't see them being much worse than nine and eight or eight and nine next year, right? And their defense will probably be a little better. It'll get younger. They've gotten rid of some of the older guys. They're going to have a better defensive coordinator. They, they could, they could win the division. And, and okay. Okay, good. You know, but are they going to win the Super Bowl? Maybe, maybe they'll catch lightning in a bottle and win the Super Bowl. But uh, at the end of the day, I think there's two ways to build your team. When I was a sports writer, I covered the Miami Heat in their beginning years. And Billy Cunningham was their guy. And they had another GM. And and they basically had one of the worst teams in the history of the league their first year. And and I remember what they said to the media. They always say, we're not here to build a team that makes the playoffs. We're here to build a team that can win a title. Well, they never really did until they went out and threw all the money at Shaq. And then they were winning. So they, they weren't a hell of a lot better than the Timberwolves in the early years. But But even to this day, that's what they do. OK, and so I remember that. And, and I would like to see the Vikings are trying to build teams for the playoffs. All of our teams are trying to get into the playoffs. That's all they're trying to do. It's a different. You've got to have some pain. The, the, I mean, the Vikings are almost never terrible. 
almost never. You know, they had the they had the less Steckle year. They had uh, another year, the last year of uh, Frazier when they were like bad. They've been bad like four or five times in my lifetime where they're really bad. And other than that, you know, they have some years where they go seven and ten or something or, or nine and. But they're never they're never the Houston Texans from the last two years. Well, maybe you should be. You know, maybe, and I'm not saying you try to do it, but I'm saying, look, we're not going to pay Cousins. We're going to bring in a quarterback. We want our objective next year is to get a quarterback. And it would seem to me that by getting rid of Cousins, they would have more assets and able to get it. Because Cousins is good. He is good. He's going to win you some games. Guarantee you, if Marcus Mariota was, coach, was there last year, they probably would have been 4-13 and 13 with that defense. Right. So Cousins basically cost them. Now, that might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but they wouldn't have been 13 and four with Marcus Mariota last year. Well, right? if they had taken the the direction that we expect Ryan Poles wanted to take them, then they probably would have won four games because yep. they would have traded Kirk to like the Colts or something. Remember the Colts yep. went and got Matt Ryan, but there was reports that they were interested in Kirk as well. Kirk would have been a better choice for them being younger and not as washed as Matt Ryan was. Yep. They, they probably make the playoffs with Kirk last year with that Colts team as opposed yeah. to completely falling apart. Uh, and then, yeah, they would have been in line to draft potentially one of these quarterbacks, could have even maybe traded up. Hard to say, but then if you – I don't know. I mean, even if you tank and you miss out on those guys and you take Will Anderson instead, then you've got sort of your franchise edge rusher and, you know, who knows? Like so many things kind of trickle down off that decision that it's one we'll be looking at for many years – was the 13 win season worth it? And I remember asking that right after the year and most people went, what? Mm, not maybe fun, but no, like in the long term, didn't get you closer to actually winning a championship. And that's the thing that's rested over them. I do think there are practical reasons why they want to do this. I try to understand them as uh, generally looking at things like you do philosophically, but I think it is hard if you make certain sort of promises to stay competitive and then say, well, well, wait a minute, who are you trading Kirk to? Who is the quarterback that you're bringing in instead? Is it Baker Mayfield? Like, do we think Tampa Bay is going to be great with Baker Mayfield? So that that's not what they want to hear. You know what I mean? And not only that, but you have to consider Justin Jefferson's feelings here. He does do. not have to sign a contract extension this offseason. And the thing is, he will make his money. If they fifth year option, that's a lot of money. If they franchise tag him, that's a lot of money. The man's not going to go poor. He's only going to sign his contract extension if he really wants to be here. So it is such a complicated issue with a lot of moving parts. But I think that there is a universe where Ryan Poles comes in, takes it apart, and they're drafting one of the top quarterbacks this year. And we're talking about a totally different thing. Maybe it'd work, maybe it'd blow up but it would be a totally different direction that has worked for a lot of teams to have that young or mobile quarterback. And, you know, you, you would have, you would have had to treat just, 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 you have to bring him in and say, what do you think if we do this? And if he says, I would ask him, right. And he would say, well, there's, if you, if we're going to have a crappy quarterback for three years, I'm not going to want to sign here again. I'm going to say, well, well, okay. But, but even then, I mean, I mean, look, I think if you're a receiver, Kirk Cousins is, you could have a lot worse quarterbacks than Kirk Cousins if you're a receiver. Justin Jefferson has shown that, right? I mean, I mean, he, he's done very well with him. So I get that. But at, at the end of the day, I'm guessing Justin Jefferson, you know, would like to get, I think he'd be on board is what, but I, but I would, I would definitely, I wouldn't just treat him like any other player because he's not. And, and he is a, he is a generational talent. There's no question about that. And it's funny, the Vikings seem to have, they have the magic at receiver, right? The Vikings have had the magic at receiver. We talk about Joe Cap. I mean, we're going back to Gene Washington. 
I mean, Gene Washington is the first guy I remember, and then Sammy White and Ahmad Rashad and Reed and Moss and Justin Jefferson and, you know, even Thielen. It, it, I mean, the amount of great receivers the Vikings have had is, you know, it, it, we've been spoiled by the receivers. And then and then I was so down on them trading uh, Stephon Diggs, and then they get somebody who's going to be better than Stephon Diggs, I, I believe. I, I think he's even better than Stephon Diggs. I was lucky. You know, could have been trade Randy Moss and get the guy that they drafted, the guy that couldn't see Troy Williamson. You know, could be that way too, but. Uh, but anyway, no, I, I, I just really, to me, to me, the, the the reason is I think Matthew, the Wilfs like to have teams that are good. They're really, and I'm not saying they're not committed to, to to getting to the Super Bowl. I think they're committed from a money perspective. You know, all the money they spend on TCL, it's a different commitment. It's a commitment to be bad for a couple of years, and they just can't do it. They, they just don't want to do it. And you know what? They don't have to do it if they don't want to. They own the team, right? I mean, they spent all the money because they're, I think they're good owners. You know, they, they, they take care of their, you know, well, they were, the organization is wonderful. Their facilities are great. That's all in the Wilfs, right? They, they've created this. So they're good owners, but I think that they just want to be good and they don't want to pay the, the, the painful price because money isn't painful for the Wilfs. They got plenty of that. What they don't have is they don't want to sit in that box and watch a team go two and 13 or what two and 15, right? They don't. And they, they don't have to, and they, that's what they're unwilling to pay. That's that's the price, and they don't have to pay it. I mean, it's their team; they can do what they want. But we need to get somebody in there. It's like Billy Cunningham and the Heat owners said, "No, we're not trying to get to the playoffs. We're trying to get to the NBA tournament." And I'm certainly empathetic to that. That uh, they would want to have competitive teams and try to build up the team again to have a chance without having to go back down. It's just a more difficult road. And actually, there was a there was a uh, analytics study on this. It is a literally by the numbers, a more difficult road to go from the middle to great than it is from terrible to great, which kind of matches up with what we would think. But it's, I mean, a proven thing that they are trying to take a more difficult route than it would be for a team that went to the bottom, like a Cincinnati that bounced back quickly. And that's what usually happens. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle this. I mean, there's still things, even the rest of this off season, quite a bit to, to be figured out. Are they going to cave to an extension? Are they going to keep, you know, Hunter and Zadarius to remain competitive or will they give opportunities to younger players like Patrick Jones, DJ Wanham to take over those positions to see if there's something there for the future. Will they lock themselves into another big contract with Hunter and, and all these things. And will Justin Jefferson sign on the dotted line? Cause if he does, then you kind of have an open door to go get your next quarterback because you're not talking about that extension with him. So a lot of moving parts remain, but um, we, we could talk about it all day. You have an actual job. I actually have to run out to TCO performance center for something. So we've got uh, a great conversation though, Scott, I love getting together with you, man. I love when we used to do radio together. You you always look at things in an interesting way. And as soon as I saw the Joe cap news, I was like, I, I want I wanted us to get back together and talk quarterbacks. And this was this was perfect, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for thanks for the platform, Matthew. I'm a big fan of Purple and Thanks, man. Right, and and thank thanks uh, everybody for listening as always. And you know, I, any uh, let's let's do it again. Let's not John just when old legends pass away, Scott. Let's do it again soon, man. Well, my wife will thank you because now that I'm not on the radio anymore, she has to hear all my theories. So I, I, need, to, <laughs> I need to get it out before I should start my own podcast, probably, but I don't know that I have enough energy to do that. All right, thanks, Matthew. Yep. Thanks, man.